sons of Levi. So just, I don't, sometimes that was confusing to me when I was younger, like, how does Moses fit into all this? But he is a son of Levi as well. Um, but then Izhar comes down. Oh, they, don't, they don't talk about Hebron at all there, but they do, I do put Uziel out to the right. But Izhar is who we're, we're concerned with. And Izhar has three sons, and they are Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. And so it really is Korah that, that is the heart of this rebellion right now. Um, maybe other thing on there. Aaron, um, you can see his four children, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. Um, and we know Nadab and Abihu get uh, taken out by God's fire because they, they offer unauthorized fire. But those are the priests. The Aaronic priests come from Aaron and his children. So if you're a if you're a priest of Aaron, you are a Levite, but just because you're a Levite doesn't mean you're a priest, right? Do you see how that, that kind of... And so you've got Korah here, um, and he rises up. Um, well, okay, so we, he rises up in rebellion... Who are the other players that we're told about besides Korah in verse 1? Uh, Dathan and, and Abiram and a guy named On or On. He's, he's the son of Peleth. Um, so um, what are we told about Dathan and Abiram? Sons of Eliab, and he, Eliab, is a son of Reuben. So here's Reuben, one of the 12 tribes, and uh, Dathan, Abiram are in that tribe, okay? And then what are we told about On? Who is he? Son of Peleth. And Peleth is another son of Reuben. Okay? From a different clan, but they're all there. So so you have Reuben has these three rebels within its tribe. They're not priests. But then you have the Kohathites, who are where uh, Korah comes from. Okay? Now, sometimes in some of your commentaries, this will be called the Southern Rebellion. Probably not in, in uh, Southern commentators in America because they wouldn't want you to equate the war of the uh, Northern aggression to what's going on here. But this is, this is a Southern Rebellion because where you live and who you rub shoulders with does matter. Okay, so, so these uh, there's a, a festering, you know how... Uh, Jesus teaches that a little bit of yeast works through the whole dough. Well, this is where the rebellion begins in this southern portion of the tribe. They, you know, they start grumbling. Uh, you know, what do you think about that? That's not right. Who does he think he is? Those kind of things. And it just starts festering until it gets big enough that they begin to then influence 
the other tribes. And it goes around. So what we see here is that they are able to procure how many of the clan leaders? 250. This is a pretty significant rebellion. There are four main leaders... And they call it Korah's rebellion because he's the main, the main dude. And he is the priest in the whole, not priest, he wishes he were a priest, right? Um, but he's the one from the um, Levites. So you can see there's Gershonites, Merorites, Kohathites, and then there's the priests, including Moses and Aaron. And then, and then you've got the tribes around them. But it's these four leaders, and it starts in the south, and they are... Stirring up rebellion. So what has happened is it started as a small uh, fringe kind of rebellion, and now it is infecting the whole of Israel. Okay, that's what's happening. Now, what is the cause of their rebellion? What is it? That, what is their complaint? Every rebellion's got to have a got to have a complaint, right? What's theirs? Yes. So every Israelite is holy. Is that a true statement? I got one guy shaking his head no. I got one shaking his head yes. Huh? <laughs> What, I mean, speak up. Give me your thoughts. We got, so here's the yes camp, and here's the no camp, and then there's the both camp, right? But you still got to distinguish. Can't be yes and no unless they're in different senses, right? Different ways. So, Okay, so corporately, corporately they all are yes, but individually, okay, that's, that's not, I like that. I like that because, uh, you know, we're all holy, but then to kind of think of yourself as, as uh, equal in every way as some of these other priests is, would not be right, okay? Other ways to describe that. Could we say holy and more holy? <laughs> or... Holy, uh, maybe in essence, but not necessarily in your daily practice in the way um, your your position. Like you can have a position in the. Um, I don't know. I'm just. Uh, it's hard to. Okay, so it could be a it could be a sanctification issue too. Uh, but the problem with that, uh, and that, I think that's an excellent way to take this. The problem with that, um, how sanctified is Aaron? He, I mean, he's he's the one that encouraged the you know worship of the calf, and you know he's done some things that haven't been too good. So. Um, I, I, yeah, it's undeserved. 
I mean. Yes. And, and it, we sh- it should be in the sanctification. Your declaration of holiness and your, your actual practice of sanctification should be equal, but it's not always that way, is it? So, and, and I don't, I just think that like all Israel is holy. They, it's even in the Old Testament, they're called a kingdom of priests, meaning all people in the nation. But there is a, there, God has the freedom to distinguish within the holy, those who are more holy. Okay, say you're a priest. Does every priest get to go into the holy of holies? Only the high priest. And how often does he get to go in? Once a year. So even among the priesthood, there is the high priest and there are other priests, right? Um, the um, way I've described holiness sometimes is within the Israelite community, there are degrees of holiness, distinctions. Uh, there is something on the very outside called unclean, but there's even within clean people who are holy, they don't have the right to keep going deeper and deeper into the Holy of Holies. Which is why in the New Testament, when you have a high priest that takes you into the Holy of Holies, there's something very special about that, right? That's a, key, that's a um, promo for our Sunday evening book, on, our study on Hebrews. So the high priest of Jesus is better than the Aaronic priesthood. But is every day of your life holy? I got to know. I would say yes and no. Because you are holy and every day that you live is holy to the Lord. Can God at the same time say that one day in seven is holy? And say that Sunday is a special day set apart from the other days? Yes, I think it is. I think that sometimes in our, um, the movement in, at least in my life, has been away from thinking of uh, pastors or priests as holy and in a position of holiness. Like they used to wear robes as a sign, as a marker of their, their position as a pastor, and therefore you would give them respect and dignity, that kind of... Um, We've moved away from that to, to now the pastor's just, you know, just like anybody else. Just a, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of good to that because, in a sense, the pastor is not better than anybody else. At the same time, there is a position that he's given that is a distinct position. So here's what's happening. God has distinguished Moses and Aaron and those priests from the rest of the nation of Israel. Okay? God's the one who's done that. Well, that's exactly what Korah's questioning. Korah's starting to say, hmm, I don't think God did that. I think Moses did that. Moses has set himself up as being above us. <laughs> and this is, but this is the jealousy, right? Uh, when somebody has a position that seems to be in a better place than our own, there can be jealousy that develops. And that's what's happening here. 
you can see the wording, you have gone too far. And as I would say, there's this, this ridge line of truth. All people are holy to only some, some more holy than others. And we're trying to, we're trying to hold these two together. And what they're saying is, oh, Moses, you have gone too far onto that side. You have, you've belittled us. Um, see how he says, why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? See that you are putting yourself above the rest by being in a position of privilege and authority. Although we would argue, and Moses would argue, that this, this being set apart is for the purpose of service, not for self-exaltation. But that's how they're feeling at this time. Now, this never happens in our day, right? I, I don't like to, I'm, I do like to pick on Coleman, but he's the only teenager here that I see. Coleman, you ever feel like, hey, mom, dad, who put you in authority? I know just as well as you do what I, I know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a human being. I can make my own decisions. Why do I need to listen to you? you? Ever feel that way before? What's that? Sometimes I think it. <laughs> so, I mean, but that, I think it's this, this feeling of if somebody is in authority over you, there's always this sense of what, put, what gives them the right. I know more than they do. Kai's already asked you that. And he's probably going to be just like Korah. He wants a really good visual explanation from God that God puts you in authority. Because it's hard to just accept it. And that's what's going on here. Okay, so, um, and, and just to be kind of the devil's advocate, who is the one that actually appoints the ironic order? Huh? Well, God does it, but who's the, who's the mechanism that actually uh, carries out the ceremonies of making Aaron and, and his children holy? Moses does it. And Aaron is Moses' brother. Boy, that sounds, oh, sure. You know, we, don't we do this with kings, you know, all, in our own politicians? Oh, it's... Uh, I'm not trying to bring up politicians, but all the things in news of, of Joe Biden and his son Hunter. He's getting special privilege because he's his son, right? I mean, those kind of things. We do this all the time. You're getting favored because of who you are, not because God has done this. You've done this, right? And that's what, they're, that's what Korah is bringing out. Um, Right? Yeah, they're close, right? No, no prophet is given honor in his own family, right? His own hometown kind of thing. So, yeah, this is, uh, you know, we kind of revere Moses, you know. But this is, you know, this is right down in the, in the trenches of when this is all being set up. I would even argue maybe Korah is saying, 
you know, why, would, why don't we just set up some kind of rotational system? You know, we let, the, let Aaron's sons be priests for a while. At least let us be priests for one month. You know, why, why are we doing it all for them? We're all children of Levi. Okay, let's read verses 4 to 7. Now we got the mic. Uh, let's let Carla read that for us. Uh, chapter 16, 4 to 7. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, even him whom he hath chosen, will he cause to come near unto him. You said, I'm sorry. How Four to seven. Seven. <clears throat> this do take you censors, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose... He shall be holy. You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. <laughs> okay, so first thing Moses does is fall on his face. And this is not just before God. I think it's actually even before the people are in the rebellion. Like he's, Moses is uh, uh, being um, humble and he's not being adversarial. I mean, he could say, you punks, who do you think you are? You know, uh, but he doesn't do that at this time. Um, and I think this is important. He doesn't fight for God. Now, there's a, there's a fine nuance there, right? We're all defenders of God in some sense, but he doesn't feel that he has to defend himself in God's choice of him. He lets God do the defending, which I think is uh, very insightful. And he's also, Moses understands that this can create... Well, you tell me, what happens if this rebellion gains ground? What does it do to Israel? Tears it apart. Disunity among the people of God. It's a serious thing at this point. Um, They accuse Moses of going too far. What does he, though, say to them? Verse 7. You have gone too far. So I'm up on the ridge line. We're right here. You accuse us of being here, but no, you're really pushing here, and you're going too far. Um, he focuses on Korah because they are the instigators. The Reubenites are probably the muscle behind it all, but Korah is probably the main instigator. And what does Moses tell him to do? Come by tomorrow with what? Yeah. Now, what's a what's a censor? Right, and the priest would use that in his duties in the holy place. That would be the thing that he would carry around with him in the holy place. So, um, and then he says, God will choose who is holy. He'll say, he'll tell us who the real holy ones are here. Um, He doesn't yet say how. So the next day, they come together in verses 8 to 10. Uh, Erica, why don't you read for me, please? And Moses said to Korah, 
Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all of your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Sorry, is that to the end of 11? Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay, so here you, you can see this levels, right? This is the whole congregation. He says, is it too small a thing for you that God has separated? So in other words, he's saying, you are higher than the rest of the congregation. But I guess that's not enough for you, right? It's not enough that you've already been given a privileged, a privileged position. You want more. All right, is this not the... This is the heart of what we say contentment, right? Later on, David will say, oh, if I could just be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, I would be happy. I don't need to be the highest position. But this is exactly what Moses is saying to them. You think that this isn't enough for you? You're not happy with what he's given you? I hope we can all see in our own hearts being discontent. Want more. You know, I'm this good of a whatever. I want to be better. You know, I mean, obviously we all want to be better, but this idea of not being content with the station that God's given to us. Um, What else does Moses make clear to them in verse... uh, I guess it's 11. Right. You're not just fighting against Aaron, you're actually fighting against God. And so this fits into our larger picture. Throughout all of Numbers, the people are always grumbling and complaining. This is one more uh, way in which they grumble and complain. Now, you can understand why in the New Testament, Paul says, do everything without grumbling or complaining, right? Uh, Oh, that we did, myself included. Um, All right, let's keep going, 12 through 15. Uh, Let's have Christian read for us. And Moses sent to call uh, Dathan and Abiram, the son of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. Is, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flown with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flown with milk and honey nor given us inheritance of fields and uh, vineyards, will you put, us, put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, 
Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them. I have not harmed one of them. Okay, now, this is it's getting it's heating up a little bit here. So how, okay, first off, Dathan and Abiram, Own is not mentioned. We don't know at this point what he's doing. Um, but Dathan and Abiram, what did they refuse to do? What's that? Even meat. It's like you have just received a court summons by your judge. What happens if you don't come? You get thrown in jail. You may not like the judgment of the court, right? But you got to at least show up in court. And, that, and they basically say, Moses, we reject you as our leader. Now, the first Korah's rebellion is really a priesthood thing. But Dathan and Abiram are not priests. So they're rejecting Moses' civil leadership entirely. And obviously then, Moses gets this. And how does he respond? Yeah, so no more just falling on your face and pleading with you. Now It's like, you've gotten under my skin now, and I'm going at you. You know, people can tolerate so much, and then, it, then they respond back, right? Uh, these people are insolent. Yeah, go ahead, say that. Yeah, he limits their worship. Go ahead and give him the microphone on that so we can hear this. Uh, he does limit their worship. He limits their worship. Is that all you're going to say? Yeah. <laughs> In what way? told the Lord, said to the Lord, do not accept their offering. Right, so there's, it, goes, it goes a step further from, okay, let's bring everybody here and we'll see who God chooses to, these guys don't even get to come before the Lord, and God, you strike them down, okay? Take away their, their, uh, their uh, ability to actually enter the holy place through their sacrifices. Now, I like their uh, rejection is based on some of their own. So the Korathites are rebellious because they don't think that they're getting a high enough position. But really, Dathan and Abiram are fighting because they don't like life under Moses. So you can kind of see the religious struggle, and then you have the civil struggle, and, and just life. But those you got disgruntled people, and they bind together under one head, Right? But, that, you know, you, you said you were bringing us to a land of flowing with milk and honey. You actually took us out of a country of milk and honey. You know, they're like flipping it all. And you make yourself prince over us. Are you kidding us? You've not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. You've not given us an inheritance. Now, they have rejected the fact of the whole 12 spies you know, they've rejected the fact that, that it was their rebellion that kept them from going into the promised land. They've rejected all that. It's all Moses' fault. <clears throat> You've been a bad leader to us, Moses. And Moses meets his, the end of his patience. And he's like, take them out, God. I have not taken one donkey from these guys. I mean, this is like a flip in what we've seen in Moses. In the past, God says, I'm ready to destroy them. And, and Moses says, oh, don't do that, God. Don't do that. Now Moses is like, take them out. Get these guys out of here. 
because it's personal to him, right? Don't you love how the scriptures are just so real? This is, it reeks of, this is the way it was. Um, all right, let's keep going. Uh, 16 and 17, Emmy, would you like to read? Here comes Mike. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Each of you take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 censers, you also and Aaron, each of you with his censer. <clears throat> okay. Uh, this, it's interesting that he's talking to Korah, but he's telling them all to bring all of their senses. So there's all these people involved in the rebellion. I don't know how they all get their own censor. I don't know how that works, but uh, they're all supposed to, to come, and then we'll just see what God does. Would he accept their, their acts of uh, service as priests, or would he not? That's the question. You can go ahead and keep reading if you want, Emmy. Um, 18 through 35. It's kind of a longer section. 18 to... 35. Oh, wow. Okay. And so every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. Then Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the, if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Then it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the congregation." 
Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Okay. Um, Initially, what does God want to do? Kill them all. Uh, And what prevents him? Verse 22, Moses and Aaron interceding. So again, it, it's God wants to be, it, it, I know you're seeing, it looks like God just wants to destroy them. He does because of their evil, but in Moses' intercession. But God's sovereign over all this. He's the one that appointed Moses and Aaron, right? Because he wants there to be an intercession of a priest, which is going to point us to Jesus Christ, Right? The reason why we're not consumed is because Jesus is our mediator and stands and intercedes for us. So that, so God is orchestrating all of this, and, and the fact that he's saying, oh, I want to destroy them all, does express God's moral will, but it doesn't really express his entire will because his sovereign will is that he's going to have somebody intercede, and these people are going to not all be uh, uh, destroyed. Um, and, and basically... The, the argumentation in verse 22 is an argumentation that seems to me similar to Abraham's argumentation with Sodom and Gomorrah. It's very similar. Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? If, there's one, if one person's rebellion, are you going to destroy them all? Of course, we know that they're all rebellious in some sense, just as we're all rebellious. But, but the, the argument's similar to that which is... For Aaron, and then you do have to ask the question: Why does Israel still exist? I'm not speaking today necessarily, but why do they still exist as a nation? Because they have certainly done enough rebellion to merit being judged, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet they're not. And God hears these pleas of mercy. Correct. Now the Lord then in verse 23 gives instruction to Moses. And what is, he, what is this instruction? Yeah. I think everybody but the priests. Moses, Aaron, and the priests. I think he's going to take them all out. The whole, the whole assembly. Yep. That's, that's, that's my take on this, I think. I mean, um, all right, so... What's his instruction then to Moses? <laughs> okay, so what is this? This is a call to repentance. Just like, just like we're given calls to repentance. You don't want to be judged with the, those who are in rebellion? Repent. And in this particular situation, it is demonstrate your repentance by separating yourself from those who are in rebellion. That's what he's saying. Um, the responsibility that we have to repent of sin. Uh, seems to me that most of them accept the call. Uh, 
that they actually come out. And it seems to me that some of even Korah's children separate from him. Part of this is because there's still Korathites later on. <laughs> right? So it's not like the entire clan of Korah is eliminated at this point. So it seems to be at least some people in the Korathite clan separate themselves from Korah. Now, uh, there's mention of Dathan and Abiram again because they hadn't even wanted to participate in the whole censor thing. They're just at, the, at their tent saying, we're not going to be part of this. So um, in their situation, and it's, it's hard, it's not easy, but it's, it's there, that the entire household of these men, Dathan and Abiram, are judged together. I mean, the text makes it explicit that little ones. I would then conclude that had these little ones grown up, they would have been just as evil as their parents. So, but be that as it may, the text says that they're all, the whole household, consumed up. And it is hard for me to think, I mean, a little kid is not going to, at that time, jet from their parents, right? I mean, you just wouldn't expect that to happen. You might expect older people, but not necessarily. You might expect a teenager, but you wouldn't expect a four- or five-year-old to do that. And they talk about little ones that are a part of this. But you know what? This is, and, and I, don't, I don't want to belabor this, but even on the day of judgment, when Christ returns, there will be little kids involved in the judgment. It's just, you, you know, on the day of the flood under Noah, there were little kids. So, I mean, it, it doesn't, to our minds, it doesn't seem right, but I, I think, and it, it should feel like, oh, they're not given as much of a chance as someone who's an adult. But it's there in the text, and it's hard to accept, but um, you, we're not to cry out, oh, God is unjust. That's not the point of this right here. We are to, to believe that God is doing what's right. Um. <clears throat> The people in repentance must accept, part of their repentance is accepting the authority of Moses. That he, in verse 28, has not taken this position on himself, but he does truly represent the Lord's will. And then Moses actually puts, in verse 29, he puts his own, um, his own status as a prophet on the line. Do you see that in verse 29? How does he do that? He makes a prophecy, doesn't he? He says, basically, if God doesn't actually open up the earth and swallow these people, I am not a prophet. I think if Moses had not been chosen by God, he might have just said, hey, God, remember that previous deal you gave to me where you said you're just going to take them all out and start a new people for me? Let's do that. But he doesn't. Uh, 
He wants these people to learn the lesson. Okay, now, so we kind of get what's going on. We see those who have not repented, who have not accepted God's priest and leader, Moses, Aaron, those who have not accepted his appointed priest and leader, those people who have rebelled get what? Swallowed up. Okay? Now think about this. Put this into your own Christian context. Who is our priest and king and prophet, right? It's Christ alone. Okay? So let's just say somebody in the church decides to say, I don't think Jesus is everything. I think all religions are are faithful. Well, you guys have gone too far as Christians. People can be saved under different names. We don't need just the one priest, Jesus. God loves us all equally. We don't need your priest. We definitely don't need your leadership. God, don't give us your law. Tell us how to live. Thank you. We'll come up with our own plan. Those who make that statement are basically doing the same thing that's happened in Korah's rebellion. And there's eternal damnation that's a part of this. Being sucked up by the, the earth is not just, oh, they're going to heaven. No, this, it's a judgment upon them. <clears throat> Can you imagine, and we should as as people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our priest, when somebody tells us that Jesus is not Savior, we should warn them. We can be kind, we can be patient, we should be at least telling them, I I need him as my priest, I don't get to go to heaven because I will do it my way, I have to submit to Christ too. But we should tell them, because without Christ, people will, this is the eternal destiny of people. Whether they're in the church or not. Also, the fact that we are today a kingdom of priests doesn't mean that we are independent of authority even today. We appoint elders and deacons in the church the elders and deacons, on the one hand, are just like a regular member of the church. But on another hand, they've been set apart by God for a particular service. And therefore, if you reject that, I'm not saying you can't ever disagree with your elders on a point of, you know, uh, scripture or doctrine or, you know, that, that's, that's fine as, you, as we're trying to understand the scriptures. But to just outright reject the authority of the church, it's not a good thing. Questions or comments? Yes, Frank. Cora and those who were wanting to uh, be in leadership and God rejected them, they were swallowed up. But then it talks about the others who also brought censors and they were consumed by fire. Mm -hmm. So can you comment on that? I think they're just, uh, Korah in his, um, these um, the two different types of destruction, some of them sucked up by the earth, some of them destroyed by fire, I don't, I don't know. They're both uh, 
means of fire and destruction. You know, uh, I don't. I don't know that if you're trying to distinguish, is the judgment different because it's two different types, fire and earth? I, I think you go to the Book of Revelation and talks about the same thing: the earth, fire. You know, locusts doesn't matter. It's all God's judgment. <laughs> so, good question. In our day, yeah, <laughs> the, left to rot uh, some places on a battlefield. One, one second, go ahead. Oh, maybe so, or at least, at least not one that just, when you just go right down. I don't know. That's a good, good thought, though, yeah. Do you feel that Moses acted this out on his own or this was in council with God that this judgment was to be passed and he knew exactly what God's course of action was going to be that's I I can't speak with authority because I'm not sure the text does but as I as I my gut reaction is that Moses is um Moses is acting on his own impulse and how he's feeling rather than God actually gave him a direction. Oh, I'm going to open up this. Uh, that's, that's my feeling, but I, it's hard to know. Maybe God did tell him, I'm going to do this, and then he's just uh, reiterating back to the people what God has said. No, but it, it usually when, when God has spoken, it, it says God spoke this, and then Moses turns around and speaks it to the people. We're here. Moses just says... If I'm not the man, you're going to die in a natural death. But if I am the man, you're going down some way that you know is not natural. Seems to be that's just coming out of him. Like, you know, so it's good questions. I like the thoughtfulness of the way you guys are thinking through this. Yeah, and that's what, yeah. What I would, I would argue that um, my understanding of the flood is that there were major uh, volcanoes and earthquakes and tectonic shifts taking place at the floods, but this is certainly new in terms of even God's people, that he's swallowing up a portion of his people would have been, that, that would to me, rather than equating it just with an earthquake, that God is judging his own people and swallowing them up like this is something that's new, so. <clears throat> oh, good, yeah. I think it's interesting that uh, in the case of Korah, you know, the the primary rebellion, the whole line was wiped out, which was actually fairly common in when a new king would come to power. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, anybody who would be a threat would be taken out Mm -hmm. to the umpteenth generation. But the others with the censors, it was just the leaders who were punished, not their posterity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think in all this, you just have to accept that God, when he, this is an act of God. He is sovereignly declaring who dies and who doesn't die. And that's, to me, that, anytime that happens, that is a, a, a foreshadow of the final judgment when God finally just does it. Uh, and, uh, yeah. You know, the New Testament says, and judgment begins within the household of God. This is, this is the kind of thing that's being thought of here. So, 
All right, 36 to 40, Nathan Graybill, would you read that? We'll try to finish this chapter, hopefully, before we have to end here. The Lord said to Moses, tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to take the censers out of the smoldering remains and scatter the coals some distance away, for the censers are holy, the censers of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives. Hammer the censers into sheets to overlay the altar, for they were presented before the Lord and have become holy. Let them be a sign to the Israelites. So Eleazar the priest collected the bronze censers brought by those who had been burned up, and he had them hammered out to overlay the altar, as the Lord directed him through Moses. This was to remind the Israelites that no one except a descendant of Aaron should come to burn incense before the Lord, or he will become like Korah and his followers. Okay, so, I mean, can we say that this is absolutely clear? This is an issue of the way in which people are saved. You either come by the way that God appointed you to come by, or you're not coming at all. I mean, this is a direct application to us. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. You either submit to Christ as your priest or you do not. It can't be any clearer than that. And he's making this clear to his own people. You can be in the church. You can be you know, a privileged person. He's declared over to you that you are holy to the Lord. But don't think you can come before me any other way than the way I have appointed Now, this brings us to the question of how Jesus, who is not a descendant of Levi or Aaron, can actually be a high priest, which is the book of Hebrews, deals with that issue. And that's why you should come out Sunday nights to listen to the Hebrew discussion. Um, But this this is absolutely clear at this point. Is it not a touch of God to take the very censors of the rebellion and hammer it onto the bronze altar, which means that you are reminded that it's your rebellion that is being paid for on the altar. It's not as if, oh, I don't need, I don't have rebellion in my heart, I don't need my priest, I can just walk into the Holy of Holies. Every person who is an Israelite knows that the only way that they can have any hope to come before God is by God's appointed means of a priest and the sacrifice that he gives. I never, I never remembered, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I read it, but it didn't recall to me that the bronze altar was overlaid with the censers of the rebellion of Korah. I didn't remember that. Did you have a question? Or yes. As believers now. Yes. We see the cross, and that is the only way, and it is our sins on that cross. Yep. So it's a it's a direct parallel. I can hear preachers in my past just you know your sins are nailed to the cross. I mean that's that's literally you know the censer being put on the altar is a symbol of that your sins are on that altar. So that's. So the way to heaven is a narrow road, okay? Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to glory. 
It's not saying only the, only the strongest, only those who can climb Mount Everest can get to heaven. That's not the point. The point is, God has provided a means. You, you have to submit to that means. <clears throat> well, as usual, I wanted to finish the entire chapter, but we will not. <clears throat> but maybe just look at verse 41 as a primer. On the next day, all of the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Think about that. You've just watched there be consumed a whole group of rebellious people and you're still grumbling. And I, I know that days past that I'd look at this and go, oh, they're so idiotic. But then I think of myself and my continued resistance to my sovereign God and my wanting to do things my way. It may not be me submitting to Christ as priest, although sometimes I do want my own works to contribute to my salvation. But it might be just I don't want to submit to, to Moses or Jesus as my king, you know. So um, anyway. Uh, a lot more, a uh, lot more like me than I care to admit, and that's why God has this in here because He wants us to understand that this is not just a problem of those outside of the covenant, those those terrible pagans who are unclean, uncircumcised Philistines. The problem is here, and it's in all of us. That's the issue. So. Father, thank you so much for this class and for the people's comments, and thank you for Jesus. Uh, Lord, may I never, ever proclaim anyone but Christ. He is everything and the alone Savior, the only one whose death was sufficient and whose intercession is efficacious to bring us to you. We give you praise for him. And Lord, for a dying world who... uh, who is lost apart from Christ, help us to present Christ to them as the alone way of salvation without presenting it like we don't need Christ. Help us to present it in a way that is humble and compassionate, uh, but very much committed to the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.